ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21, and we look at a world at war. Revelation 9, 13 through 21. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were likened to serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. The images depicted in this chapter make it one of the most disturbing passages in the entire Bible. In verses 1 through 12, we studied the description of a swarm of demons. These demons came to the earth to torment all those who refused to bow to God. They tormented men for five long months and brought terrible suffering to the unsaved. The only grace in those verses is the fact that those who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior will be spared from that attack. It is also blessing, a blessing to know that those who are saved today will miss this terrible time entirely because we're going to be safe at home in heaven with the Lord Jesus. As we continue to look at all the events in chapter 9, We come now to the sixth trumpet judgment. Now when that trumpet sounds, a voice is heard to speak from between the horns of the golden altar. And the mention of this altar reminds us of the golden altar of incense. 
that was in the tabernacle and the temple. The golden altar was where incense was burned as an offering to God. And it was the place of prayer. It was the place of intercession. It was a place of mercy where prayers could be offered to our Lord. In these verses, the place of mercy has become a place of judgment. And when people reject grace and mercy and the love of God, they are left with nothing but judgment. The world has rejected grace, and now they're given judgment. In verses 14 and 15, we see a time of demonic activity. A voice from the altar commands the release of four fallen angels that have been kept chained in the Euphrates River. We don't know how long these angels have been chained there. We don't know exactly why they've been chained there, but we do know that when they're let loose on the world, that terrible death and destruction follows with them. We're not given much information on these angels at all, but there are a few truths that we need to mention here that needs to be addressed. In verse 14, there's a place mentioned. We're told that they are bound in the river Euphrates. This river is one of the most prominent in the word of God. It was here that God planted the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 14. It was here that God made mankind. The Euphrates River has been the scene of many Many first of humanity. We have the first sin. We have the first apostasy. The first murder. The first rebellion against the word of God. All occurred here. The ancient city of Babylon sprang to life along the banks of this river. Babylon was the birthplace of false religion, of demon worship, and of idolatry. Many of the false religions practiced in our world today trace their origins all the way back to Babylon. And this area was the home of Nimrod, according to Genesis 10, 8 through 10. He was the father of many vile, ungodly worship practices, some of which still exist today. It was here along the banks of this great river that all of the great cultural, religious, and political systems of the world came to life. And this river was said to be the eastern boundary of the land that was promised to Abraham in Genesis 15 and verse 18. Now it's this river that forms a dividing line between the Middle East and the Far East. And the attention of the world is focused even today, especially today, on this area, this piece of real estate. This area will continue to be the focus of the world's attention until Jesus Christ comes in glory. But according to verse 15, a plan is mentioned. These angels have been kept bound until a specific period of time, and God is going to use them for his own purposes as he judges the earth. The words were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year tells us that God has a distinct plan. And as we read through this book, it may appear that things are spinning out of control, but my friend, quite the opposite is true. God is in perfect control, and he's working out his will according to a highly detailed, specific timetable. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he can be trusted to do the right thing. And by the way, he knows what he's doing in your life as well. It may not seem like everything's in control, but God has a plan. It's a good plan. Might I say that it's the best plan. Now, verse 15, we have a purpose that is mentioned. This verse is very graphic. 
It tells us that these demonic spirits are released for the sole purpose of destroying one-third of the human race. Now consider this. Revelation 6.8 says that 25% of the earth's population will be killed there. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 11 says that many will die from drinking poison waters. If the population of the earth is about 7 billion, as it is today, when the tribulation begins, it will have been cut almost in half by the time of the sixth trumpet judgment is carried out and another one-third of humanity is slaughtered. Now imagine in the space of a few short years, 50%, one out of every two people living on the earth, they're dead, they're gone. In the United States, it would be equivalent of over 150 million people dying in a very short period of time. And according to Revelation 9, verses 5 and 6, the dead will take a five-month holiday, but it will come back with a vengeance, and billions will die at the hand of these four fallen angels. Now people read this and they look at it with doubt. Some even make fun of the notion of fallen angels bound in river, released on the earth, bringing with them untold death and suffering. Men may deny the truth of these verses, but my friend, it does not diminish their reality. Angels have power and fallen angels have power as well. Daniel found this out when he prayed to the Lord in the answer to his prayer was delayed three weeks by demonic activity in Daniel chapter 10, 12 through 13. Now we cannot see it, but there is an ongoing struggle around us right now, according to Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Angels and demons are at war all around us. One day the reality of the spiritual battle will be made real to humanity. And four demons will be released on this earth and one third of the remaining human population will die. Now, according to verses 16 through 19, it's also a time of destructive activity. You see, these four demons will be released with the one mission, and that one mission is to kill one-third of humanity. They, they will use their power to energize a vast human army, and they will use this demonically inspired force to accomplish this mission. Now let's talk about this army. Let's look at the size of the army. We're told that this army will number 200,000 thousand. Now a little math reveals that we're talking about an army of 200 million men. We're talking about an army of immense proportions. Someone has calculated that an army that large could line up in a formation one mile wide and 87 miles long. Now, just a few generations ago, an army of that size were, uh, was almost incomprehensible. Today, it's not just a possibility, it's a stark reality. In fact, China, communist China, has had the ability since 1964 to raise a fighting force of over 200 million men. In the year 2000 alone, China had 363,050,980 available men, and I have no idea what it numbers today. And that was between the ages of 15 and 49. 
Of that number, some 199 million were fit for military service. Every year, every year, 10 million men, almost 11 million men, reach fighting age in China alone. Now, I share these figures only to teach us that the Bible is accurate. And even though men want to make light of its prophecies, such an army is not only possible in our day, it is a reality. And verses 17 through 19, we see symbolism of this army. And as we read the description of the vast army, one of the questions that may arise is whether this army is human or demonic. Now, I believe we're looking at a human army that's demonically controlled and demonically energized. These are men, but they're men who march under the banner of hell. They're humans, but they're humans under the control and the direction of Satan and his demons. And John has a little bit to say about that. Now, something that strikes me here is the language used to describe the soldiers. It's a language of symbolism, and it is, first of all, language that is descriptive of hell. The men have breastplates of fire, jacinth and brimstone or, or, or sulfur, we could say. Now, these are the colors, red, blue, and yellow. These are all the colors of fire. These are colors associated with the torments of hell itself. Their horses breathe fire, smoke, and brimstone. And again, these bring to mind images of hell and its torments. Hell will be a place of smoke, of fire, and brimstone. And these soldiers come with the colors of hell, the smell of hell, the weapons of hell, the energy of hell. It's a picture of an army controlled by hell. People always want to know what we Christians believe about hell. Do we believe that hell is real or just a symbol? My friend, hell is real. Hell is literal. There is a burning fire in hell. And there's also language that's here used to describe the things that are indescribable. John is trying to use first century language to describe a 21st century army. Now look at the descriptions that John gives us of these men. Their horses, their methods of killing. Seems to me he's trying to describe a scene in which he did not have the right vocabulary. He says faces like lions. Now this indicates that their horses or whatever vehicles they ride are fierce looking. He said also men are killed by smoke, fire, brimstone, and that issue from the mouths of these beasts. Could this be a description of tanks, rockets, machine guns? I'm just, I'm just offering some, some, some dialogue here. I'm just offering some ideas. Now, these beasts are said to have power in their heads and in their tails to kill and to do damage. And this brings to mind images of missiles and warheads and helicopters. Again, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use my finite mind to understand, seek to understand the infinity of the Word of God. Imagine a man in the 1800s plucked out of his time period, placed in our day, and now imagine the same man that was taken back to his time period. Imagine him trying to describe that. Uh, you'd have trouble trying to describe it, wouldn't you? It would be foolish to be too dogmatic and say that these verses can only describe a modern army and its equipment, but we must, however, consider that possibility. And regardless of how we interpret these words, one thing is clear. It's going to be a terrible time of destruction, a terrible time of death and demonic activity. 
But I would also show you in verse, verses 20 and 21 a time of depraved activity. See, not only is it a time of demonic activity and destructive activity, but a time of depraved activity because we're told very clearly that these angels unleash a vast army upon the earth. One third of all the people living on the earth will be killed. And you think that death and destruction on this scale would cause mankind to look within his heart acknowledge his sins, and turn in repentance to God. Those who survive the carnage continue on in their sins, refusing to repent, and these verses are a clear x-ray of the condition of the human heart. We can long to find good in man if we wish, but man is totally depraved. He is a hopeless sinner, and apart from the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not good at all in man. You don't believe me? Read what Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through 23. Every human carries his heart, within his heart, the seeds of evil, and he or she is capable of committing any sin that can be imagined. Unless we think better of ourselves than we should. The same capacity to plumb the depths of evil dwells in our hearts as well. Now verse 20, man is depraved in his worship. Given all the sin and the chaos during the tribulation, one might think that it would be a wonderful time to be empty of religious activity. But as we learn from this verse, and from future studies, the tribulation will be a time marked by intense religious activity. As you know, no religion can save. It takes faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ to accomplish that. However, no matter what he thinks or how much he may live in denial, man is a religious creature. Regardless of where you go in this world, you're going to find people engaged in worship from the darkest jungles of Africa and South America to the highest mountains in Asia. You will find people engaged in worship. Every culture, whether it's primitive or advanced, has some involvement with worship. Even the atheist, the atheist worships. He merely directs his worship toward himself. And this verse tells us that religion in the tribulation period will be marked by the worship of demons and by the worship of material things. Men will be caught up in the worship of the occult, and there's an increase in, in the occult worship and interest in our day. Movies and music and popular media provide an opportunity for many to learn more about the devil, demons, and Satanism. Witchcraft is becoming more popular than ever, and the numbers of practicing witches is increasing at an astonishing rate. All of this is leading toward the day when mankind will worship demons. You see, the involvement with the occult begins with entertainment. It begins with entertainment. People learn about it. They begin to dabble into it. Then it moves into the arena of enlightenment. People then begin to seek answers and help for the problems in the world of the occult. And then it moves into the area of enslavement. People get trapped in the system, and they're unable to get free. America and the rest of the world is headed in that direction this very hour. If you reject God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have nothing left but Satan, and you have nothing left but judgment. 
Men will also give his worship to gods of his own creation. He will worship idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Now this may either mean that man will make gods that he will bow down to and worship, or it could mean that he will give his worship to the material possessions of life. Men will worship their money, his, their cars, their homes, their possessions, even though he will give his love, his adoration, and his worship to these things. They are not gods at all. They cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot move. His worship of all these things does not benefit him at all. There's a thought here that should not be missed. Every person should look at the God he or she worships. Look at that person or thing that has your love, has your attention, has your adoration, has your worship. Can your God hear you when you pray? Can your God see you when you have a need? Can your God move to do something about your problem? If not, you need a God who can. And that God is only the God of heaven. Verse 21, we have man that is depraved in his works. It seems that there is a significant increase in wickedness in that day. And John uses four words to describe the moral condition of the sinners living in the tribulation. One, he says, murders. Now, it's hard to imagine a civilization being more murderous than our own. Hardly a day goes by without hearing several murders here in town, here in America. Large towns, small towns, no place is immune from the blight of murder. There are hit men who will kill someone for money. There are serial killers who desire to, to kill people for the thrill of it. Then there are abortionists. These people commit murder every day, and they're protected by the very laws of America. More babies have been sacrificed on the altar of convenience and personal rights than the total number of people killed in all the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. Why are things this way? We've taught a generation that men descended from apes. We've taught a generation that there is no God to be accountable to. We've taught a generation that every person has the ability to determine what is right and wrong for himself. Our children are raised up on a steady, steady diet of godless humanism and they have no thought for the rights and the properties of others. Just look at how rude and violent people have become. This verse teaches us that the tribulation will be marked by murders. Apparently the violence of mankind will increase after the removal of the church. Then he says sorceries. The word sorceries comes from the word pharmakeia. You recognize that word because it's where we get our modern word pharmacy from. Now, there are two possible interpretations for the use of this word in this verse. First, we've already seen the tribulation. We'll see a marked increase in satanic worship. Second, there'll also be a rise in drug abuse. We're seeing this take place right now before our eyes. The marijuana in 1960s and 70s has been replaced with the crack and the meth of this generation. Hardly a week passes without us hearing of a drug bust or a drug-related arrest. Our world is busy seeking an escape hatch from the problems through the use of mind-altering drugs. And this trend will increase as we move through the last days. My friend, it will reach pandemic proportions during the tribulation. 
Then he mentions fornication. This is translated from the Greek word pornia. It gives us our modern word pornography. It is a word that's used in this day to refer to every kind of illicit and sexual sin. It covers every type of sexual activity that mankind can be engaged in. Our country has already seen the free love movement and the love ends in the hippies. We've been through the sexual revolution. We've witnessed the day when things that were not even discussed in public are now common on our television screens as in a Coca-Cola commercial or a Super Bowl halftime show. Our society is saturated by perversion. Man has taken a beautiful gift from God and perverted it. He does it every time. And I'm going to say this again. Some people may call you and me un old-fashioned, but I'm, I'm simply saying that we're biblical. God designed this, this act, this exercise of sexual relation in the framework of marriage, and any expression there that takes place outside of marriage involving one man, one woman is a sin. It's going to be judged by God, and sexual perversion will increase as we move in the last days. But then he calls out thefts. The personal rights and properties of others will have no meaning at all. We're seeing that today in our society. As a segment of our population believe that it's their right to take what they want, when they want, from whomever they can get it from, and that attitude will become increasingly evident in the last days and will reach terrible proportions during the tribulation just as food, water, medicine, clothing, and shelter become increasingly scarce, men will take what they want. Now in closing, the Bible paints a bleak picture of events in the tribulation. There will be death, there will be violence on an unprecedented level throughout the world, yet in the midst of it all, man will continue to harden their hearts to the gospel of Christ and will continue their headlong plunge into the fires of hell. That's why we must do everything in our power to reach them with the gospel. No sacrifice is too great, no distance too vast, no expense too steep, and no effort is wasted in the work of reaching men, women, boys, and girls for Jesus Christ. And as we close this message, let me leave you with this invitation. First, if you've never been saved, this could be your future. Come to Christ and be saved. Then you will miss the tribulation. You will make heaven your home. Second, if you are saved and you haven't been living like you should, this is the day to get things settled between you and God. Third, if you would like to do more and be used more to reach men for him, he's looking for laborers for his harvest. All you have to do is talk to him and sign up today. And number four, if you know people who will be left here, you should make a list of those people, and you should be praying for their salvation. My friend, you do not want to see your friends and your loved ones left behind. Even after all of this, they have a meeting scheduled at the great white throne in front of God himself. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. 
Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.